0: thank you so much for uh, for reading that. Please, everyone, do keep your Bibles open at that page, Psalm 2 on page 554. I don't think any Christian can read Psalm 22 without being confronted with the, the crucifixion in the most vivid and graphic detail. In fact, so much so that one commentator has described this psalm as the fifth gospel. And that's why I thought it would be good for us to study this psalm as we approach Good Friday and Easter. Uh, Normally, we would look at uh, one of the accounts of Jesus' death in the Gospels. But this psalm is so clearly speaking about the death of Jesus and his resurrection that we're going to look at the um, first 21 verses this morning. And then on Easter Day, when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, actually we're going to be focusing on the final bit. Verses 22 to 31. So that's mine. Let's pray now and ask God to help us to see new things in his word. So gracious God and Father, we do ask you to open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. We ask you to be our teacher by your spirit. So that we may strengthen our trust in you and our Lord Jesus in these days. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, this psalm is uh, about Jesus' death, but first of all, it's a psalm of David. Look at the uh, title given to the psalm. So, Psalm 22 for the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. Now, we often leave out those bits when reading the psalms. But actually, we shouldn't, because actually they are a part of Scripture. They're not like the other headings that we get inserted into the text by kind of Bible publishers to help us find our ways around and to break up the page and to make it look more attractive. Now, that superscription is the first verse in the Hebrew Bibles. And actually, it's part of inspired Scriptures. And it tells us that this is a psalm of David. It's all about him. Now, we don't know the episode that this is referring to in David's life. I'll say a little bit more about that uh, later on. But whatever the situation, David is clearly going through a time of acute pain. He is in physical agony. He's experiencing the most appalling opposition from enemies, But the horror of his situation is compounded by the fact that he feels completely abandoned by God. And that is my first heading for us this morning. The cry of a despairing believer. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? See, to David it seems totally illogical. Would any half-decent mother abandon her baby who's crying out in distress? No, she wouldn't. She would rush to help. So why is a good God abandoning him and not responding to his cries? There are times in life when what we know about God just doesn't match up with our experience. One of the best descriptions of this comes from C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed. C.S. Lewis wrote two books about suffering. The first, called A Problem of Pain, addresses the kind of intellectual objections to suffering. How can you believe in a a good and powerful God of the suffering in, in the world? But he wrote another book called a grief observed after the death of his wife, Joy. And this is what he wrote in it. Where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. Some people, when they go through a time of acute suffering, far from feeling abandoned by God, actually feel very close to him. That was certainly true of Richard Wurmbrandt, who uh, suffered imprisonment and a torture for being a Christian under the Soviet rule. It was the experience of Brother Yun, who suffered similar hardship. I suppose, in a way, it has been... My experience in my my first job as a, a vicar, I went through a very hard time when I experienced a huge amount of personal opposition. It was very painful, but I think that was also the time when I was most clearly conscious of the sustaining hand of God upon me in the most tangible way. I was out of my depth, I threw myself on God, but my walk with the Lord was close. And at times, I said, I almost had this kind of tangible experience of his presence with me in the midst of all that pain. That's what it's sometimes like. But for others, like David in this situation, it's a completely different story. So the pressures build up. It's just one thing after another. Loss of job, a difficult relationship chronic illness, deep depression. And you cry out to God, uh, and there's nothing. In fact, you're hit by another mishap. The drain gets blocked, and the loo overflows. Your house is breaking into, and precious things are stolen. You're at breaking point, and there is no relief. And there's certainly no relief from God. As C.S. Lewis says, all you find is a door slammed in your face and the sound of double bolting on the inside and then silence. Such is David's experience. Verse 2, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And what makes it so hard for David is his knowledge of God. You see, David knew his Bible well. He's not ignorant. Verses 3 to 5. He knows how again and again when God's people were in distress and humbled themselves before God and cried out to him that God answered their prayers. You only have to read the history books of the Bible. Genesis to Nehemiah. To see that happening again and again and again. David knows that those great rescues happened. He's a believer. But that's the whole problem. He is God's anointed one, but God isn't coming to his aid. And so it may be for the Christian today. You know your Bible. You know what God, you know what God is like, and you see other people crying out to God, and they seem to get some relief, they get that token that God is caring for them, that's with them, they get that job, but you don't, you just get silence. And so, again, in verse 6, we see David going back to his experience but I'm a worm and not a man scorned by everyone despised by the people all who see me mock me their whole insults shaking their heads he trusts in the Lord they say let the Lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him and then uh, again in verse 9 he goes back to what he knows about God yet you brought me out of the womb you made me trust in you even at my mother's breast from birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb you have been my God so there is this clash between David's uh, personal experience and what he knows to be the reality of God it, it feels so hard and so what does he do? Well, he cries out to God in prayer. Verse 11, do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help me. It's a very simple prayer, isn't it? And he prays the same sort of thing in verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. It feels as if God is far off. It feels as if God has abandoned him. So what does he do? He cries out to the God he believes in, not to be far off, but to come to his aid, and he asks God to do it quickly. And David here, friends, is a model to us. This is what we are to do when we find ourselves in utter confusion in our relationship with God. When God feels miles away and we have no feeling that he cares or loves us. First of all, we don't need to. and Actually, we must not hide how we feel. And isn't it just marvelous that in the Psalms, God has given us Practical examples of godly people doing just that. Facing up to their doubts and confusion and despair. So, so first, David is honest about his pain and confusion. And we need to be, and we can be. Second, he reminds himself of the things that God has done in the past. In other words, he goes back to the Bible. But as well as reminding himself from the scriptures what God is like, in verses 9 and 10, he goes back to previous experiences of God's gracious hand upon his life. And as David looks back, he's able to trace how from his earliest years, God had caused uh, David to trust him. And again, we're to do the same. To recall the times when God has been faithless, when he's had his hand upon us, even if we don't see that at that time, at the moment, in the present. And then third and finally, he simply cries out to God in the simplest of language. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no kind of great kind of, uh, well, there is great theology, but there's no kind of flowery language here, <laughs> is there? Or great argument. It's simply, he cries out, God, help me. Do not be far off. And friends, to shout out why and to keep clinging unto God, crying out to him in your pain is not a prayer of doubt. That is a prayer of heartfelt faith. So if that is you, keep doing it and ask for your brothers and sisters to stand with you and to help you, and to see you through this trial. And there's bound to be a crowd this size, some of us who are feeling exactly like David feels here. Abandoned, despairing, does God care? But he does. Friends, yes, he does. And we see that because this psalm of David Yes, it is the cry of a confused and despairing believer. But it's far, far more than that. This is also a prophecy of the sufferings of Christ. It's the claim of Jesus and the other New Testament writers that the whole of the Old Testament is about him. So just as all roads in Britain eventually kind of get you to London, or so it seems... So the whole of the Old Testament has its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. It's all about him. Well, if that is the case, Psalm 2 is like the M1 at St. Albans. It takes you to Jesus straight away. It's written by David, but it is all about Christ, isn't it? You can't miss it. For instance, look at verse uh, 18. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Well, that is exactly what happened at Jesus' crucifixion. And John 19, verse 24, makes the comment that this was just fulfilling all that the Scriptures said about him. So David, carried along by the Holy Spirit, describes his agony... In terms of crucifixion, actually in terms of Jesus' crucifixion, and he did that some 1,000 years before Jesus died on the cross and long before crucifixion had even been invented as a form of execution. So David writes better than he knows And of any passage in the Bible, including the Gospels, it is Psalm 22 that most explicitly helps us to appreciate the suffering and pain that Christ endured for us. So, first, there is the physical pain. And this is picked up in verses 14 to 18. The physical agony that Jesus went through was so immense we have invented a word for it in the English language. It is the word excruciating. Ex from cru- cru- cruciating, excruciating. The from the cross. Jesus literally experienced excruciating pain. The hands and feet pierced with nails. See that end of verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. The body stretched out in the most unnatural position, dislocating joints. Verse 14. The heartburn and exhaustion of fighting for air and fighting the constant pain. Again, verses 14 and 15, let me read them. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. The agonizing thirst that caused Jesus to cry out for a drink, The humiliation of being stripped naked, verses 17 and 18. All my bones are disclosed. People stare and glate over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. All predicted. All were real. All were heartfelt. And then on top of the physical pain, there is the emotional pain. Enduring pain is bad enough when you've got people around you trying to support you. But when those around you are are, are mocking you and delighting in your agony, well, it's unbearable. But such was Jesus' lot. Verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. That is how Jesus felt. The rejection of the people whom he came to save grieved him greatly. You know those famous I am sayings of uh, uh, Jesus in John's gospel? I am the resurrection of the life. I am the life of the world. I am the bread of life and so on. Well, here's another famous I am saying of Jesus. From the cross, Jesus cries out, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by the people. Scorned and despised. By the, by, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. For David, actually this was hyperbole. For Jesus, this was real. In fact, the Gospel writers put the words of verse 7 and verse 8 on the lips of the chief priests and the teachers of the law as they mock Jesus and gloat over his sufferings. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. On the cross, Jesus feels like a worm, but those around him appear like bulls, verse 12, wild dogs, verse 20, and lions. Verse 21, a wild beast bent on destruction. And yes, friends, that is what we human beings can be like. And Jesus experienced that to the full, despised by those for whom he was suffering. But of course, the greatest suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross was the spiritual pain, which is why he quoted the opening verse of this psalm as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whenever Jesus uh, quotes uh, scripture, it is because he's fulfilling it. And on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by his heavenly father. He was abandoned. And he didn't stop believing and trusting God. Like David, he cries out, my God, my God. But the relationship between the Eternal Father and the Eternal Son was rent asunder. Leading up to the cross, Jesus experienced many hardships. There was the emotional agony of the Garden of Gethsemane as he pleased to God in prayer. The disciples deserting him a succession of kangaroo courts and uh, physical abuse. But foreseeing all that, Jesus had been able to say, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. In the face of those sufferings, Jesus was able to lean on and find comfort in the perfect oneness of his love with his Heavenly Father. But on the cross... Even the Father deserted him. It had to be. Because on the cross, Jesus was bearing our sin in our place. For that is what sin does. It separates us from God. It isolates. And that is what hell is, ultimately. The eternal separation from God. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, it was as if the dustbins of all our sin, past, present and future, and of all humanities, past, present and future was placed on him. And in those moments, while Jesus hung on the cross, sin became between God the Father and God the Son and it hurt both of them in a way that we will never be able to understand or appreciate. The agony of the fatherlessness of the Son was only matched by the sonlessness of the Father. So on the cross, Jesus experienced the desperation, the agony of hell, so that we might never experience. That is why bad Friday becomes good Friday. Jesus was abandoned, forsaken by God, so that we might never need experience or fear abandonment by our creator. Jesus gave up the privilege of being able to call God Father so that we might take hold of that privilege knowing the creator of this world as our glorious heavenly Father and never fear that we're not loved and cared by him. Let me bring things to close just by making a couple of further points. For those of us who are going through times of great hardship and suffering, who are tempted to feel that God doesn't care, and that we feel that we have been abandoned, please think about what Jesus experienced. And realize that as you cry out to God in desperation, he does understand And he does know the sort of things that you're going through. And as you fill your mind with what Jesus did on the cross, know that Jesus suffered abandonment. Actually, so that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ did suffer abandonment by God. But however we may feel, we are not Abandoned, actually. Buddhists look to a dead leader with eyes closed in meditation. But actually, for the Christian, we have a living saviour who carries the scars. He knows what it's like. He is with us even if it doesn't feel that way. And then, uh, finally, there is that wonderful uh, hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Chorus. Well, people in the property business will tell you that there should never be such a thing as a quick survey. A survey is meant to take time, And it's meant to be done thoroughly. And that is true of the death of Jesus. We begin to slip and slide in our Christian lives when we begin to neglect and drift away from the cross of Calvary. And this psalm provides us with a wonderful opportunity to remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And friends, so does this coming Easter week. Good Friday. I hope that we'll make the time, it's a bank holiday, most of us won't be working, That we will make the time to pause. Come to join us here for the, uh, if you've got kids uh, with the all age or um, the three hours, come for as much of it as you can. But it is really good for us. And if you, if you can't uh, make it, can I suggest this coming week you take time to pick up Psalm 22. And read it again and again. And as you do so, think of the Lord Jesus saying these words as he hung on the cross. Think about the sufferings that Jesus went through and what they have achieved. Think about the abandonment he endured so that you need never feel abandoned by God. And friends, as we do that, let's be lost in wonder, love and praise.